0: Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. And now turn turn with me to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 9, and I'll read to the end of the book. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness to the flesh. And all the students say, Amen. Amen. Verse 13, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray. Father, we come once again to this book, crying out to you for help. Because we find here words that are strange and difficult. And so we ask for your work of clarity in our minds. But a much greater problem for us as we come to your word is not only its difficulty and confusion, but a much greater problem is our sin and rebellion and our pride. And so we come to your word asking for humility to receive the message that you have given to us. We ask for the work of your Holy Spirit to work your power in us so that we may be changed by what you have said. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I usually work on Saturdays, getting ready for Sundays, Uh, but before I leave the house on Saturday mornings, my wife and I have a little tradition. Uh, We like to sit down with a cup of coffee and spend just a little time talking uh, before I head off to the office. And uh, it's the time of the week uh, where we have to say to our kids like 58 times, uh, this is mommy and daddy's time, all right? We're having coffee. You go find something else to do. And and they don't like that. And uh, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were saying that to them. And on like the 45th time of saying, you need to go find something to do, Mommy and Daddy are having coffee. My daughter Georgia looked at us and said, I can't wait to be married because then I get to have coffee and kiss on the lips. (laughs) One One of the fun things about being a parent is seeing your kids observe the world and draw conclusions from it. sometimes odd conclusions from what they see. In Ecclesiastes 12, we come to the conclusion of this book, the end of the matter. All of these observations that have been made, what is the final implication? What is the conclusion? That's what we find in this final chapter and in these final verses of this book. And this conclusion is not as cute as George's conclusion about marriage, but it is still an odd one. It is an odd conclusion. Because think about the message of this book. What have we heard again and again? Vanity of vanities. Remember that word means vapor. Puff of smoke. All of life is a vapor. It's a mist. It's a puff of smoke. And the ultimate evidence of that is the inevitability of death. Central message of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now for me... Two possible conclusions. One, depression. (laughs) A depressed, pessimistic, melancholy approach towards life. Second conclusion, and it fits better with what the teacher says throughout this book, is the conclusion of, it's all vapor, so enjoy the good parts anyway. You can't control it. You can't manage it. So enjoy the good parts that come. And that's a part of the message of this book. But that is not the final conclusion. The end of the matter is not depression, and it's not delight, it's fear. All of these observations, what's the conclusion? Fear God and keep His commandments. And if we are going to respond to this book as we should, we must consider this odd conclusion. We need to think about why the book of Ecclesiastes ends the way that it does. So we're going to consider this conclusion this morning, and I want to ask two questions. First of all, why is this the conclusion? And second of all, how do we live this conclusion? So why and how? First of all, why... Is the end of the matter, all that has been said in this book, why is the end of the matter fear? The fear of the Lord, or the fear of God, is a common way that the Bible describes how we should respond to God, how we should relate to Him. And so, before we understand how it fits with the message of Ecclesiastes, we need to think about what that phrase means. My brother once uh, uh, drug me on a hike uh, in North Carolina. On a, it was like a 10-hour hike up and down uh, some mountain that I can't remember the name of. And, and my brother is the more uh, active and adventurous of the two of us. And I hated him <laughs> uh, the vast majority of the time. But there were a few moments on that hike that I appreciated, and I was glad that he took me. There was those moments when the trail would come out onto a rocky precipice or a cliff, and before us would be an absolutely gorgeous view. But what's interesting about that experience, that glimpse of beauty, is that it was mixed with terror. (laughs) You're just standing on this edge where you could easily fall uh, to your death. And so the experience is something like, this is very beautiful, but I also might die. Take that experience, multiply it, And that's how people react when they encounter the presence of God. When they are given a glimpse of his glory in scripture. So quintessential example, Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, God is calling this man to be his spokesman. And in order to do that, in order to call that, he gives Isaiah a glimpse of his heavenly throne. And Isaiah describes a scene of terrifying beauty. Overwhelming majesty and power. And Isaiah's reaction to it is to fall down. It is to collapse and cry out, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Now, When you hear the phrase, the fear of the Lord, you need to see that scene. You need to see that scene of God sitting on his throne, filling the temple with his robe, with the smoke of his glory, and Isaiah collapsed on the ground before him, saying, yes, this is beautiful, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. Now what does that have to do with Ecclesiastes? Why is that the conclusion of this book? Well, remember that Ecclesiastes has relentlessly communicated our limitations. It is said to us, because of the vaporous nature of life, here are all the things you can't know. Here are all the things that you can't control. You cannot tame the wind. Ecclesiastes sweeps away all our allusions to self-sufficiency. But it does not leave us empty. Because in emptying us of self-sufficiency, it lifts our eyes to what? To the fear of God. And the point of concluding the book this way, Calling to our minds, God in His throne, as the teacher says in chapter 5, God is in heaven, you are on earth. And in recalling that to our minds, God on His throne, our fear of Him, Ecclesiastes says to us, you will be overwhelmed by something in your life. You will be overwhelmed by something. And either it will be your limitations or it will be God's lack of them. Either you will be overwhelmed by your ignorance and weakness, or by God's infinite wisdom and unbounded strength. You will be overcome by the mist, or you will be overcome by the one who rules the mist. What's one of the most frustrating things to the teacher about vapor? It is injustice. It is the fact that as we look around at the world, we look around the world around us, we see the wicked prospering and living long, comfortable lives, and we see the righteous dying young. And the teacher is frustrated by that, but he does not stay in his frustration. Where does he take us? He takes us to God, the Judge. And he says you can be overwhelmed by the injustice that you see or you can be overwhelmed by the judge, by the fact that he will show up and he will make it right. In the mist, fear God, the one who rules the mist. Now, this pushes on a tendency that we have, particularly in the American context. (coughs) I think we are not so much in danger of atheism, of believing that God doesn't exist. That's there, and that's a possibility. I think we are much more in danger of wanting God, but wanting God as a kind of consultant, a, a life coach, where we end up with a, a faith like, uh, one of the characters in one of Saul Bellow's novels says, a kitchen religion that knows nothing of the giant god of creation who turns back the waters and explodes Gomorrah. That's what we are in danger of, of having a kitchen religion that thinks that That scene in Isaiah, that was back then. And God has progressed with us. And he has mellowed with age. And look at Jesus. Jesus is nice and soft. And so God has become kind of a helper. Kind of someone who helps us live life more effectively. Who gives us the affirmation that we need in our lives. Two problems... With that view. First, it does not fit with what the Bible says about God, even in the New Testament. Jesus, the one who put the children on his lap, also spoke to a hurricane and it obeyed him. And his disciples weren't like, hey, that's a cool trick. They were peeing your pants scared. (laughs) So it doesn't fit with what the Bible says about God, with what the Bible says about Jesus. But you know what else? It also leaves us hopeless in the mist. Because as we look at the vaporous nature of life, all that we cannot know, all that we cannot control, if we do not have a God that is bigger than the mist, then all we are left is with dust. Empty hands. And so the teacher lifts our eyes to the one who sits on the throne full of majesty and power. And he says, be overwhelmed by that. Be overwhelmed by the one who is full of terrifying beauty. Now, The problem with that is that we cannot live on the precipice. We can't stand on that rocky outcropping and stare at the beauty. We have to keep walking, right? We have to keep living. And so the response to this message, fear God, is to not just go constantly looking for Isaiah-like experiences. The response to this is not to try to conjure up some sense of God's transcendence. That experience, it's a part of the Christian life, and it happens every once in a while, but it's rare, and you can't make it come, and you can't make it stay. And remember that the teacher in Ecclesiastes calls us not to those extraordinary visions, but he calls us to ordinary things. He calls us to work, to food and drink, to friendship and to family. So how do we fear God in those things? How do we live out the fear of God? How do we live out the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, I think we can begin to answer that question in the prominence of the theme of words in both chapter 12 and chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. So chapter 5... The teacher is instructing people how to come to the temple, how to come to the house of God. And remember the house of God, the temple, that was where God's presence, the presence that melted Isaiah, that's where his presence lived with his people in the Old Testament. And the teacher is helping people approach his presence. And the essence of what he says is, draw near to God's house to do what? to listen. And then he contrasts listening with all these other activities that people could do at the temple. They could make vows, they could give prayers, they could do sacrifices. And the teacher is not not saying that those things are bad, those things are wrong. But what he is confronting is a tendency to see those things as a way to manipulate God that I can come into God's presence and I can use all of these religious exercises to make God hear me and make God do what I want to do. And the teacher says, don't do that. Come into His presence and let your words be few. Don't come manipulative. Come receptive. Come to God in His presence. Not focused on what you can do and say, but focused on what He will do and say. Why? Verse 7 of chapter 5, because it is God who you must fear. So it shouldn't surprise us then when we get to the fear of God in chapter 12, we also hear about words. We also are called to listen. This conclusion holds up the words of the wise. The words of the teacher in this book and the words of the wise more generally. And he says these words are valuable. Why are they valuable? Verse 11. Look again at verse 11, chapter 12 with me. The words of the wise, this is why they're valuable. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are, given, they are given by one shepherd. Words of the wise are valuable because they're goads. We've mentioned this before. A goat is an instrument that a shepherd or a goat herder would use to direct animals. So the words of the wise give direction, and they are also like nails, firmly stick, firmly fixed. They give stability. Now think about this. All of life is a vapor. It's smoke. What do you want in the smoke? What do you want in the fog? Stability and direction. Right? And why do these words give us stability and direction? Because they are given by one shepherd. Now, hear what's happening here. He's saying, many wise people, many wise words, but all of it comes from one source. Right? Right? Comes from the shepherd, comes from God, comes from the king who sits on the throne. He gives words of wisdom, words that give stability and direction in the fog. And so, verse twelve, don't go beyond them. Okay, verse twelve is not saying that studying and reading books that that's a bad thing. It is saying that with all of your studying, with all of your thinking, with all of your reflection, you will never get beyond the wisdom that God has revealed in His Word. You will never get beyond the wisdom that God gave to the writer of Ecclesiastes, that God gave to the writers of the other books of His Scriptures. These are the words of the shepherd. So listen to How do you live by fear? You listen. You listen to what the shepherd has to say, trusting that what he says will give you direction and stability in the fog. How do you live out the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes? You learn to hear. And this is not... Informational hearing, it is transformative listening so that we hear in a way that changes our life. So fear God. What does that mean? How do you live it? Fear God and keep His commandments. Listen to Him and do what He says because in that you find direction and stability in the fog. Our response to Ecclesiastes must be to take the roles that God has given to us, student, parent, spouse, employer, employee, child, to take those roles and connect them to the wisdom of God. It is to look at what is in front of us and then to look into God's Word and ask, how can I hear Him? What does He have to say about how I live? About the elements of my life? What does He have to say about food and drink and family and work and friendship? So when... The teacher of Ecclesiastes says to us, whatever you have to do, do it with all your might. It is to take that and to connect it to our studying, to our working, to our parenting. To the way that we love our friends, the way that we love our spouse. This connect the wisdom of God to the roles that God has given us in life. Now that is not easy. And that is not simple. But it is the way that we must learn to walk in the vaporous nature of life. If everything is a puff of smoke, then we must learn to hear the voice of the one who rules that smoke. Easier said than done, right? It is easy to say, listen to God and do what he says. That is easy for me to say. And very hard for me to accomplish. So how do we do that? How do we hear and obey? Well, do you remember Isaiah? We left him crumpled on the floor, learning the fear of God. Well, he doesn't stay on the floor. In fact, the end of that scene in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is standing... And he is saying, not woe is me, but he is saying, here I am, send me. So do you see what happens? He moves from terror to willing obedience. He stands at that end of that scene with the kind of fear of God that Ecclesiastes concludes with with the kind of fear that the teacher wants to show to us, the kind of fear that teaches us to hear and obey the voice of God. How does that movement happen? How does the movement from collapsing the floor in terror to standing in willing obedience towards God, how does that movement happen? Well, an angel comes from God to Isaiah with a burning coal, And he touches Isaiah's lips with it. And that's an image of cleansing. And he says, yes, you are a man of unclean lips, but now you are clean. And he says to him, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And that's what lifts Isaiah up. That's what stands him up. And sends him willing to do what God wants him to do. That is where he learns the fear of God. Not only in seeing God's majesty, but in experiencing God's grace. And that's where we will learn the fear of God. That's where we will learn to listen and do what he says. Not only in seeing the majestic king who sits on the throne... But in knowing that that King has come to us, not with an angel with burning coals, but He has come to us with His Son, Jesus, hanging on a cross. And He has come to us in Jesus, and He has lifted us up from the ground. And He has made us stand, and He has empowered us for His purposes. He has said to us in Jesus, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And when we hear that voice, then we are able to listen and to do what God says. That is what lifts us up and enables us to say, here am I, sinned. Have you noticed that we're back to where we started? First message in the book of Ecclesiastes. I borrowed the motto of the Seattle Symphony, and I invited us all to come to this book and to listen boldly. Well, the end of this book reissues that invitation. The invitation to listen boldly. To listen, open and receptive to the voice of our King. But not only to listen, but to listen boldly. Because in Jesus, we know that that majestic King is our good shepherd. And so we can hear His voice. And so He leads us to life. So would you listen boldly because of the majesty of God but also because of the grace that he has shown us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.